Hello and welcome to Cooking Your Way Through Life. Today's episode is Cooking Your Way Through Mental Health, and today's recipe is creme brulee.、Yeah. <laughs> Cooking Your Way Through Life is a podcast combining knowledge of the kitchen and applying it to real life situations. This podcast is all about understanding techniques to make things you already know even better. Topics from traveling on a budget, setting and achieving short and long-term goals, and of course, cooking. Today's episode, I'm going to go over my personal mental health 101. I'm also going to hopefully get you to understand your feelings are always valid, and I want to teach you how to unlearn things you've learned in the past. Now, one thing you will learn is how to make creme brulee, and I'm going to teach you a base recipe which you can tweak and make your own. Sit back and get ready for today. Please welcome Chef Hollywood. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Cooking Your Way Through Life with me, Chef Hollywood. This week is cooking your way through mental health. I just want to say thank you to everyone that's been listening and subscribed in all different countries, and it's just amazing just to know that people out there want to know what I'm talking about. So thank you. I hope you've been enjoying the recipes. Hope you've been enjoying the advice and all of my embarrassing stories because there is more to come. Like today. We're gonna get into mental health, so I definitely have a couple of stories that are pretty embarrassing. But hopefully, they will help. And if anything, you can at least learn how to make creme brulee. So creme brulee is on the menu today, and we are making it because it perfectly pairs with mental health. So I was talking about mental health and just other things with a friend of mine this week. Her name is Tashaya. You met her earlier in the season on Cooking Your Way Through Starting a Business, and she owns House of Melanin with new products all the time coming out. So please go support. But me and her were going over this, and she was just like, "You know what's really great is creme brulee because it has that sugar crust on the top, but the custard is really soft, and it's kind of like fillings and other things, you know." And I was like, "That's so perfect because with mental health, I think that perfectly describes it. Where we all have this outer shell, and we use it to protect ourselves, but underneath, we're all just kind of mushy. And you know, that's our feelings and other things we don't really like talking about all the time. And that's what it is. And that's why people are so afraid of it because it's these two different things mixed together in one dish, which is creme brulee." So we're gonna make creme brulee today. It's a very easy dish, guys. The best thing about this dish is that it's a base dish, meaning that once you learn how to make this, you can flavor it any way you want, and that means that you can flavor the inside of the custard, but you also can flavor the sugar topping. So we can do anything we want with this dish. Really minimal ingredients, less than six ingredients here. So we're using eggs, heavy cream. Some sort of vanilla, so vanilla bean, vanilla paste, vanilla extract, and some sugar. We also use water for a water bath, and that's about it that we're going to use for today. So get all those ingredients ready to go. And before we start cooking, since it's a very simple dish, let's get into mental health. So I don't want to scare people off by saying mental health, and then you're thinking, oh, this show is about to get deep. Okay, we might go a little bit. In depth here today, but in terms of this, I am not a healthcare provider. 
I am not a psychiatrist, psychologist, or any doctor in any sort of way. I'm just expressing and giving you my experiences I've gone through, things that helped me, and hopefully that helps you in some kind of way, or at least guides you to the right path to get help if you need help. And I want to start with that. I want to start there because the biggest thing I want to come out of this episode is that if you haven't already, I want you to kind of start normalizing mental health. So the phrase getting help, especially I know personally in the black community and in the South where I'm from, it always is looked at as a down or a negative in a way. But when it comes to mental health, I would like for people to normalize getting that same help you get from your mental, the same way you would get if you got a bullet wound in your shoulder. So if you get a bullet wound in your shoulder, you can do one or two things. You can do what my granddad might have told you at some point, whereas get a bottle of water, boy, and walk it off. And in reality, we are smart enough to know that that's, that's not going to work. You, you just can't. I mean, eventually, eventually your body, if you're not hitting a vital organ with kind of sort of tried to fix itself. Right. So you would have to bandage it with things that you found and then, you know, kind of fix it up as much as you can. But at the end of the day, it's the reason why the second option of going to the hospital and getting the bullet taken out, your wound clean, dressed up and, you know, sitting on your merry way with antibiotics so that your wound itself won't get infected is preferred because we know that that will work and you'll do it because you can see it. And you want to fix what you can see. The problem with mental health is that we can't physically see it a lot of times. We can see the manifestation of your mental health being driven down by actions that we take after the fact a lot. Meaning that if you are kind of depressed for a long period of time, we see the after effects of that. And sometimes that can result in really drastic things like suicidal attempts or things like that. Or we can see the after effects of, you know, you've been angry all the time because you won't deal with something that you don't want to deal with. So you're taking it out in different ways. But a lot of times you can't physically see mental health being kind of driven down or something going on in your life. So a lot of times we kind of brush it on the rug and we don't think about it. But getting help for your mental is no less important to getting help for anything else medically, because your mental literally is you like is it's a part of you just like everything else. Like that's a big part. And you want to make sure that you are in the best possible shape so that you can be the best you, especially for everyone else around you. So just want to take that as the premise today. Everything we're talking about today is all about being the best you possible and nothing more, nothing less. No judgment and making sure that you understand that no matter how you get to that point. The goal is to always fix it. And RIP to my granddad, that doesn't always mean you take a bottle of water, you walk it off. <laughs> we're old enough now and we're smart enough and we're further, we're far enough into the future with technology, resources and everything else to understand why that doesn't work. And we need to use the resources we have to fix ourselves. And since everyone has access to those. Or do they? Maybe you don't. And that's another reason why you haven't fixed yourself. Hmm. 
But if you do have access to those or you can find a way to get access to those tools, we need to start using them. So let's jump back into cooking for a second and then we'll get into some more mental health in a little bit. So before we get started with anything else, we just need to understand that this dish is basically a custard dish with a sugar topping. That is all it is. So if the word creme brulee makes you quiver in your boots when you're in the kitchen or you're thinking, I've never made a creme brulee. How can I even do that? Please don't be overwhelmed by it. So the ingredients I listed off earlier Outside of vanilla beans, you probably already have everything in your cabinet. If you have vanilla beans, kudos to you. I'm actually impressed because I don't even have vanilla beans. I'm using vanilla paste today. And I'm actually using that for two reasons. One, I don't have vanilla beans. And two, for this recipe especially, or any recipe that I kind of make where I have to take the vanilla bean out after soaking it or steeping it in something, I would rather use vanilla paste because... I'm honest and I would rather work smart and not hard. Your vanilla paste is pretty much just the consistency and the actual entity of vanilla (laughs) vanilla beans, vanilla beans being scraped out into a jar. So I'm getting everything I would get out of vanilla bean without actually having to physically use one. Plus, I got it on sale. So works out great. (laughs) So in one pot in our sauce pot here, we want to put our heavy cream. And our vanilla bean or vanilla bean paste, or if you don't have either one of those, your vanilla bean extract into your pot. So we only need to bring this to a simmer. So we want to get it right under boiling. Now, we're going to put a lid on top of this once it gets to a simmer, but we don't want to put the lid on to after it gets to a simmer. Now, if you never brought cream up to a certain temperature, then you might not have experienced this. But if you haven't, lucky you. If you have, you already know what I'm about to say. Cream will go from zero to 100 just like that. So with this, if we put the top on or the lid on before we get to a simmer, it's going to just overflow. We don't want that to happen. So lid off up to a simmer, take it off the heat. Lid on for 10 minutes. That's all we need to do so far. And we already used two out of the four of the ingredients because the boiling water is for the water bath. So I hope you already know that if you're worried about this recipe, you're already halfway there. So let's get that together. Also have your whisk so you can stir the pot so that it does not scorch on the bottom. And we're going to move into some mental health items here now. So. Mental health 101 for me, what we're going over today in this episode is mostly just you understanding that you need to always keep your mind as productive and positive as possible to stay on a good path. Now, this does not mean that you're not going to have a bad day. This doesn't mean you're not going to have any negativity coming your way. It's just it's your job to make sure that you're okay, And. For the most part, we normally know how to deal with things throughout the day, right? And you go throughout the day. If you have a nine to five, you go to work, you might deal with your boss. You deal with your other employees. You might even deal with customers or guests. All of that weighs down on you. You have to deal with all these people. And then you get home and maybe you have kids or pets or a spouse. And 
It's not that they're weighing down on you in a negative way, but you have a certain amount of energy. You're giving everybody energy, especially if you're a mom. Moms are like, if you watch anime, moms are the Naruto of like the world because they have so much energy that they have to give out because they not only do everything else that we do, they have to give that energy out at home even more. And I don't want to shut out dads because let me tell you, dads are exactly the same. It's just that moms have this kind of innate ability to just always have that extra energy. Like they just always get it from somewhere. It's like they know that it's this well of energy and they will get it. I I have friends that are moms and I mean, I have my mom, too. And I'm always just blown away by how much they do, how much they give and how little they ask in return. And in this case, it's kind of a double edged sword, because if you give out so much, then you deplete your energy source. Right. And so we need to learn how to recharge that energy source. So that's where mental health one on one, in my opinion, comes in, because you need to always make sure that you're good. I always ask my friends and I mean, you guys can ask my friends if you want. I always ask, like, what are you doing to make sure that you have self care? I love asking that because one, I want to make sure my friends are okay. And two, I love giving ideas for self-care. Self-care is a good way to make sure your mental health is okay because a lot of times we just throw self-care to the wayside. Like, you know, you always worried about other people, but self-care is great because you have to be in airplane mode a lot. You have to make sure you're okay before you can make sure anybody else is okay. So this is that airplane mode. I remember taking my first flight ever. And it was from Atlanta, Georgia to Honolulu, Hawaii. Yes. If you're thinking, why was that your first trip? Um, Yeah, I don't know. It was <laughs> before that. I couldn't afford to go anywhere. Honestly, I was a college kid and I just was not very, very um, well off. And I grew up very, very humble. OK, I'm from a small town in Georgia called Monroe, Georgia. And for the most part, I had never really been a lot of places. I had been, before I took that trip, I had been to Florida. I had moved to Florida for a while to work for Disney World. And that was about it. So my first flight was pretty big deal. And I remember it mostly because it was very long. And after that flight, I mean, every other flight I've ever taken in my life is easy. But I just remember the flight attendant telling us to put your mask on first before you can put anybody else mask on and my first instinct at the time was just like but no like what if I had kids like I would want to save my kid like I don't like I I I just feel like you're being selfish right now like I want to save my kid and after they explained it I was just like oh she's right though because if I can't save myself how could I save my kid like if I had my son or my daughter here and I pass out how am I gonna try to save them you know and it took that moment for me to be like dang airplane mode. I get it. You got to be in airplane mode because you can't help anybody else if you're not okay. So I take that with me all the time. And that's pretty much what I like to do for my like health check one-on-one. Just, you know, make sure I'm in airplane mode, make sure I'm having self-care and make sure that I am doing okay daily. And keep in note that like every day is not going to be the most amazing day, but You also wouldn't know what a great day was if you didn't have bad days. So 
always use that as perspective, you know? And if 2020 doesn't teach you that, then you won't learn it. Because if you are not grateful and thankful for other years, now realizing how this year has gone, then yeah, 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 yeah. You might want to reevaluate some things. All right. So other than that, (laughs) I also like to really identify what makes me tick. So I find it better to know what makes you tick because if you don't know what makes you tick, then you don't know how to fix it. So in my opinion, if I don't know the things that give me anxiety, if I don't recognize the different stages that I'm going through that might lead me to depression, then I won't know how to fix these things. You know what I'm saying? So I try to make sure that I keep on top of that because I know what makes me tick now, but it took me a long time to get to that point. For the most part, for me personally, it took me a long time to get to that point because I didn't realize what anxiety and depression was growing up. I'm from a small town. Like I said earlier, I'm from the South and in the South, in my experience, I can't speak for everybody, but in my experience in the South, especially in the African-American community, if you were to say at nine years old, 12 years old, that you have anxiety or you're feeling depressed, I'm pretty sure you would just get told to go outside and play with your friends. <laughs> like in the most, in the most just caring way, like, boy, go play with your friends. Go, go outside. What do you mean anxiety? Spell it. Like it just, it just wasn't looked at, at least in my environment, as something that was serious, right? And the crazy thing about it is that I got started on the path of learning about mental health and African-American communities more and things like that in high school because I did dual enrollment class and we took African-American studies. And I was so naive. I was thinking when I got in that class, me and my fr- actually, I was in that class with a couple people. But I remember telling Ayla, one of my really good friends who has Sugar Baker Radio out there. So please take a listen to that. And they just dropped new merchandise. But I remember telling her that, man, why are we in African-American studies? We already black. Like, <laughs> and I was just like, this makes no sense. Like, what do you, what am I going to learn about African-American studies? Well, the first thing I learned was that I've never learned anything about African-American studies in school because they don't teach it to you a lot. And that grade zero through 12, especially in the South. So that was the first thing. The second thing I learned was that we as African-American people have gone through so much that instead of dismissing mental health and dismissing anxiety and depression and dismissing all of these things, we should be embracing it more than anybody because we have so much to unpack. (laughs) And, you know, another thing is that outside these things, if you were in serious help or if you were in serious need and you did go to somebody, especially for me as a kid, I know that Majority of my family would have just said, well, we're going to go to church and we're going to pray about it. And you can talk to the pastor if you need to. Now, for me, that wasn't the best bet because I've always been a super inquisitive person. I just feel like I want to know why and I want to know how things work in the least disrespectful way possible. I ask those questions. So for me, 
I've always wanted to know why, why, why? And not to be anything other than I just wanted to know. Like I want to know how I'm big chemistry nerd. I'm a big nerd in general. I just want to know why and I want to know how things work. Like that's just how my brain works. And I remember asking my Sunday school teacher when we were taking a test for Bible study. And the look on her face told me that I was asking too many questions. And then she told my mom and yeah, but I remember that because in my mind, if you teach kids, you go to school and you study for tests and then I go to Sunday school to Bible study. Why would I not think I'm taking a test? I just don't get it. I don't know. But that's beside the point. My point is <laughs> I wasn't the best candidate to go to the pastor or the church to talk about things that were going on as far as anxiety, depression, and other things as a kid. I didn't really have any major issues, I thought, until I was in ninth grade and my dad passed away. And I just didn't know how to deal with it. I mean, mostly because when you lose a parent, you don't have anything else to compare it to. Like it's it's a new experience that you haven't experienced before. So it's not like I could cope with it by doing what I did last time I lost a parent because it's the first time I lost a parent, you know? So that was my first kind of insight into, dang, like I don't really know how to deal with this and I don't really know who to talk to or what to say. So I kind of bottled it up. I didn't talk about, I didn't talk about my dad passing until college, like, I don't even, I, I think after my dad's funeral, I didn't talk about that until college. And it was like sophomore year college. But up until that point, didn't say nothing. And it was just, I don't know. It was just like, I thought that was, that's what I was supposed to do. Thought that was normal. And I never thought about it. And then I remember being, I remember it being in college because my really great friend, Ashley, Ashley Kelly, we were doing something random. I think we was at Walmart and I just started talking about my dad. I just got like emotional and it was surprising to her because she had never seen me get like that. And it was surprising to me because I was like, where is this even coming from? And that was my first kind of glimpse into what happens when you bottle things up. They come out in the weirdest way at random times because you just put them down and deep down in you, you just never think they're going to come back up, but they do. It always does. So just it just resurfaces in a different way. And that kind of taught me. It taught me later. I learned that day that that happened, but I didn't really learn the lesson until later, because later on, I used it as a way of a jumping off point to say, damn, I shouldn't bottle things up that are really important to me because I want to work through them on my terms. And that's really what learning your tics are about because it's really taking control of yourself. If you think that your feelings and other things are kind of a hindrance or harmful or they're like, oh, I hate all my feelings and, you know, if you control them, and you control the narrative, it's a better way to control yourself and your life. So for me, that was kind of a taking control back instead of balling things up and then never knowing when it might come out or where it might come out in different ways. I rather work through it so that I don't have to deal with that later. I can deal with it now. 
And yeah, so that's what worked for me. <laughs> still a work in progress, though. He's still working on me. I still I still love Jesus. I just obviously don't um get invited to Bible study. <laughs> so now we're going to get back over to cooking for a minute. And with this, we already have our base cooked down with our vanilla paste on my part and my cream. And in another separate bowl, we need to get our egg yolks and our sugar. So I told you get eggs at the beginning of this. We're only going to use the egg yolks. So we need to separate our egg whites from our egg yolks. Now, we're not using the egg whites here. So if you want to save your egg whites, you actually can save them in the freezer and they can stay in your freezer for up to two weeks in Ziploc bags. And that way you can just bring them out when you want to make an omelet or scramble egg whites. Not a really big fan of scramble egg whites, but if you want them, you can definitely try that. And you can't use them in the method of creating stiff peaks, though. Shout out to Jack and Freddie, because every time I say Still Peaks, I think of those two. But you can't use them in this method. So Still Peaks, for those of you who don't know, are from whenever you want to beat the egg whites to the point where they get to this really frothy stage first and they get to this kind of coagulated stage where they turn really white. And this is where we get meringue cookies from. We make meringue from that's from egg whites. Now, if you freeze them, this won't happen because the molecules will be broken by them being expanded in the freezer. But you can save them in the fridge and use them for up to about four days and do this process. But I'm just giving you these options because in this recipe, we don't need the egg whites. So you might as well keep them if you want. If not, you can throw them out. But I'm always a big advocate of find something to do with the extra or the excess. So those are some ideas for you in the future. With the egg yolks, we want to put all of those in the bowl and then we're going to put the sugar in with the egg yolks and we want to use our whisk to combine these two together. So we have four ingredients so far. We're only using four ingredients today because we're making vanilla creme brulee and we have our hot concoction of vanilla paste and heavy cream and then our cold concoction of egg yolks and sugar. Now, we need to combine these two together. Now, the easiest way to combine these two together is to slowly combine these two together because we don't want to make scrambled sugary eggs here. So this is called tempering in when we slowly add the hot liquid into the cool bowl. So I like to use a ladle and I can just add in a little bit at a time the hot liquid into my bowl with my sugar and my egg Yolks. Now, the other key to this is continuously whisking. We don't want to stop because that will start to cook the eggs. You're putting a hot liquid in with eggs. Imagine it will start to cook. So you want to continuously whisk. Your concoction now or your combined liquid should go from a really bright yellow to a dull kind of white because we add in so much cream and with the egg yolks. Now, from there, we want to pour into our ramekins. I like to take an extra step here. It's just one more dish I have to wash, but it's totally fine. I pour my liquid into a pitcher or anything that has a spout and a handle so that I can pour it into my ramekins easily because I'm super clumsy. If you don't want to, you don't have to. You can also use the ladle here and just ladle it into your ramekins. But either way, you want to get into your ramekins, get your ramekins into a hot water bath. 
and these into your oven and then we're going to start to bake. Now, while those are in the oven, let's jump back into some mental health things here. The next thing I want to talk about is finding remedies that work for you. Now, we talked about what I like to call the health one on one and also ticks and understanding yourself a little bit. The next step is just fi- figuring out what helps you become a better you. Now, as I mentioned earlier, being in the South and being an African-American in a black community, I know a lot of my friends in the Asian community and the Hispanic community feel the same way. Not everybody. I'm just saying for people that I know. It's not a lot of people in minority communities that kind of advocate for you to go to the therapist or to go to a psychiatrist or psychologist. We just don't come from a a realm where that's really advocated or else I wasn't around that as a kid and as a young adult. And I don't know friends who are minorities of mine who are also around that. So in my world, with the people that I surround myself with, I we're not usually from there. Now, as I got older, I surrounded myself with different people. I became friends with different crowds. I actually just had a conversation with a friend today who said, I just got the phone with my therapist. I'm having a good day. That is a normal conversation for me now in 2020. That it was not a normal conversation for me back in 2006 when I graduated high school. But I recognize now that that is very normal. So you have to figure out what works for you. And sometimes it helps if, as you're figuring that out, you kind of kind of get to know other people that also that works for them as well. Because it's really hard to get outside of your norm if everybody else around you kind of looks at what you're trying to do as something that's so crazy and out there, right? So you don't need yes men around you, but sometimes you just need people around you that kind of get what you're going through and can kind of understand and have empathy for it. So for me, I just, I did my push down method for years, as I mentioned earlier, and I stated earlier that I learned about the issue of it when I was in my sophomore year in college. I didn't actually act on it until I was 25. So sophomore year in college, I was 19. Yeah, I was 19 because I graduated right at 18 and I graduated. I actually graduated like a week after my birthday from high school. So, yeah, I was like 19 going on 20 my sophomore year. I didn't really like have that next step of just because, you know, a problem. I didn't start to fix it until later. So at 25, I was a store manager at CVS. And I did that because I stepped away from cooking for a while. So I worked at CVS throughout my um, high school career, worked there forever, feel like. (laughs) Shout out CVS. And when I became a store manager, I was doing it because I had a health scare. So I found out that I had a blood disorder and it's hereditary and is it's a blood cancer. So it's it's kind of like a um, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like leukemia in a way. And it's it's just that I found this out and my friends and family know about it. And at the time, nobody really knew about it because I didn't want to I didn't want to tell people because I really didn't want sympathy. And I was going through all of this stuff and I even had to go through chemo and I couldn't keep up with working in kitchens and going through chemo. I just couldn't physically do it. So luckily, one of my great friends, Corey, 
got me back on at CVS and without even knowing what was going on, I just called him and he was just like, yeah, of course, because that's the type of person he is. And from there, I worked my way up to store manager within like six months because I had worked there so long. I had already had all the training. And I knew what to do. And he was a store manager. So I already had a great mentor in that. And so it was great for me because I got to get out of the kitchen and the the kind of strain of that while I was going through chemo and everything else. And I started going back to college. And that's when I got my finance degree. So everything was kind of just like shifting in my life from culinary school and becoming a chef and like my dreams and goals. And for a moment, for about two years, almost two years of my life, a year and a half, I thought that's what I was going to do. I was just going to be a store manager and, you know, it's not a bad career and, you know, just live out my days. Well, I actually got better and I went into remission. And the weird thing about it was that the day I went into remission and the day that my doctor said, hey, everything is good again, but we're just going to keep monitoring you and we're just going to continuously monitor you because remission just means it's not flaring up, does not mean it's over, you know? And he was like, but this is a great day. Rejoice. Just like be happy. I was not. I was weirded out. I don't know. Like I, in my mind, I had, I had gotten to the point where I was like, man, okay, well, I have cancer. And if I die or, you know, like we're going down a path that might, that I might not return from, you know? And so once I was told that everything was okay, I, I knew, I knew that I should be so happy right now. I should be on cloud nine. I should be ready to go to the club. I was 25. So I should have been ready to go to the club. I should have been ready to go to the strip club. I'm in Atlanta. Like, you know, I should have just been on cloud nine. I wasn't. And I knew that I wasn't feeling the way I should feel. I didn't know how I should feel, but something was telling me that that's not what I should be feeling. And so my doctor actually recommended me to go to therapy because people that already go through cancer, they recommend you sometimes and cancer patients and survivors, they also recommend you to go. I was a little against it. And I really, truly, honestly think that the only reason I went was because at the time, pretty much none of my friends and family, maybe two or three Two or three of my friends and family actually knew about what I was going through, but I didn't tell a lot of people. And I don't regret doing it. I just, I kind of did it because I didn't want the sympathy. I didn't want people like always just like checking on me. But I think not having them weigh in on the the option of therapy kind of gave me that like, you know what, I'm going to try it. Because I felt like I I wouldn't get any any stigmatizing I wouldn't get any stigma from it. I wouldn't get any judgment from it. Nobody would even know unless I told them, you know, like it wasn't like they were already in the the know and then now I have to tell them this step too. So my therapist told me that, you know, like we worked through a lot of stuff and I told her all these different things. And that's when I connected the debt issue and balling things up. And it just, it helped me to the point where I became more self-aware and, I not only started to identify my problems, I started to deal with them. So that worked for me. Now, I say that because that was my journey to get to therapy. At 25 was my first time going to therapy. So I say that because I don't want people to feel like, oh, well, I've never been to therapy. Now I'm like 37. I can't go because like, you know, what am I going to go talk about? Bro, 
sisters. <laughs> I say bro a lot, so I call everybody bro. But um, bro, um, yeah, it's not what you think. It's not what the TV says. It is really just therapy is finding the person that fits with you, that you feel comfortable with, that can self-evaluate yourself and work through the issues that you have. There is also this thing where one therapist is not a one fit all kind of person. I advocate for therapy just because I feel like we have to take care of ourselves. If that's a way you can take care of yourself, I'm always want to make sure that my friends and family and everybody is at the best possible, like doing the best they can do. So I'm always advocating for anything that can help you with that. And just find the person that works for you. Now, if this is totally out of your wheelhouse and you want to go to church or you want to do other things, do that. But please find something that works, because as I mentioned earlier, insanity is doing the exact same thing over and over, expecting different results. So as long as it's working, it's working. But if it's not working, this is where that identifying the problems and then correcting the problems comes into play. The other thing that therapy taught me and even without therapy, I think I, t- I learned throughout my life and still learning is that your feelings are valid. So feelings and mental health are kind of in the t- interwined or intertangled, I guess. I'm trying to avoid saying entangled because we all know why, but they are. <laughs> They're entangled. And with that being said, a lot of times, I feel like me personally, I wasn't told my feelings were invalid, but I was just kind of in a society where being a man, a quote unquote man, and especially being a black man means that you are strong and, you know, like, why you got to be up in your feelings? Like, guys not supposed to be in their feelings, you know, like it just re hearing those kind of things just kind of reaffirm that. Yo, like I need to just make sure I'm good. You know, like I, I need to just be on top of this and I just need to be, you know, I thought I had to be a certain way. Not knowing, and now I know that um being in touch with your feelings only means that you're just in c- control of yourself. If you're a guy and you only can be in control of your feelings when it comes to anger or pride or like other quote unquote manly feelings, but you can't be in control if your friend gets shot and you can't experience sadness, you you realize later on in life or early in life, if you have the tools, that that is not a strong person because you should be able to express the sadness for your friend that got shot. The same way you express the anger for the person who shot him. Now, how you deal with that in your own way is your own way, but you should be able to go through those feelings and feel validated that those are serious feelings. Now, I can only speak from a black man's point of view, but I know that in our society and in our culture as black people, we also do this a lot with our black women and we do this a lot in general. But I feel like we have this really big thing in our community where we do it. And I just want you to know your feelings are valid. If nobody ever tells you, I'm telling you. So, yeah, your feelings are valid. Feel your feelings and just understand that you being emotional is not a bad thing. If anything, I'm more afraid if you have no emotions because that means you're a serial killer. And yeah, that that's a that's a person that you can be, but I hope you're not. So, (laughs) 
you know, just be in touch with your emotions. That does not mean the opposite or the other side of that is being a drama queen or dramatic in a way. So those two things are not like peanut butter and jelly. They don't have to go together. You can be in control of your emotions and understand emotions and feelings and not be emotional a hundred percent of the time. But your feelings are valid. And as soon as you learn that, it's kind of this weird switch that flicks on in your brain and you kind of get it because I thought personally that since I don't cry a lot, I just don't cry a lot. It's not like a me trying to be a manly kind of thing. Like I just don't cry. I thought that that meant that I wasn't in touch with my feelings, but I feel, I just feel in a different way. And that's the key is that we, we're not all the same in the sense that we go through the same things and and we react the same way. So you just have to be in touch with your feelings and understand your feelings. Does not mean you you're just balling up and crying when you watch a Disney movie, but it does mean you feel empathy for someone if they're going through something. That's just what that means. So now we got that out of the way and you taking control of yourself. Let's take control of this recipe again and jump right back into this creme brulee. So now our creme brulee itself has already baked off. You want to take it out of the oven when it's still a little jiggly in the center, but it's not going to completely set. Because remember, the setting part of the creme brulee comes next. We need to take it out of the stove. I take it out of my water bath. I like to sit it on my countertop, just on a towel or a cooling rack for about five to ten minutes. And this is because I want it to come down to at least room temp before I put it inside of my refrigerator. Now, your refrigerator is usually at about 50 degrees Fahrenheit. If you are putting things inside of your refrigerator that are really hot, then you're raising the temperature. Not only can you harm anything else that's around the item in the refrigerator by raising the temperature and you know putting it in the temperature danger zone where bacteria can grow, you also can make your refrigerator work really hard and you can kind of break it. So we don't want to do that. And also my refrigerator has glass shelves. I don't want to put anything super hot on it because my refrigerator stays at a temperature below 50 degrees. So we don't want that temperature to change really fast and that glass break. So double things we won't, don't want to do. But after they come to room temp, we just pop them inside the refrigerator for at least two hours, up to 24 hours. And then we're going to take them out and we can add the sugar on top and get to the fun part. We're going to blowtorch these babies. So before we get the blowtorch out. So with the blowtorch, we want to make sure that you use safety first, guys. <laughs> if you watched my video that I had on my social media, then you saw me use a huge blowtorch. This is only because I tried to buy the smaller blowtorches I normally use in the kitchen, but I could not get it in time. And I just had to buy the one that I could find. I can always find a use for blowtorches because I do random stuff like welding. But um, <laughs> but if you don't, then, you know, try to get a small torch because you just need to kind of heat the top of the creme brulee or where the sugar is enough for the sugar to melt. Now, if you have a salamander i don't know many people that do in their homes but if you do have a salamander you can also use this this works really great um but if you don't then a blowtorch is fine what you don't want to do is take like a big lighter and try to do this because trust me that doesn't work but 
Blowtorch in the top of your sugar. You want to kind of do it in a, I find circular motions work best and you want to do it evenly. So that means you don't want to stay in one spot too long. And you just want to dust the top with sugar. I put a lot of sugar on top, then I pour it off and I pour it into another one. So I'm not wasting the sugar, but this way I just get sugar over the entirety. But if you have too much sugar, what happens is, is that once you use that blowtorch, the top layer of sugar starts to caramelize, but then it's a bottom layer of sugar there. And we don't want that. We want to go directly through with a nice crack right into the custard. We don't want this extra sugary, like, yeah, we, we don't want it to be that. So yeah, make sure you just have a light dusting of sugar and then you can blowtorch it. Now I like to finish it off with some whipped cream, some fresh berries, and voila, you have an amazing creme brulee. Now to leave on this note, I just want to leave with the last thing of the day that I feel is a great Great tool or trade that I've learned. I all I'm always learning. I'm like I said earlier. I'm a super nerd. I listen to Amanda Seals. I listen to other people's podcasts. I just I'm always just like trying to learn more and more about different things. And I'm not even sure when I was taught this. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing about learning so much is just like always listening and always trying to take in. I remember I learned this lesson on a cruise ship. But it was because I was working and I was doing the Oprah cruise and we were talking to Oprah in a conversation type of way. And she said about unlearning. And it really hit me because I feel like we do grow up where we learn so much stuff and then you realize like, oh, maybe that wasn't what I should have learned. Perfect example is racism. Racism is taught. It's not something that you just are born with. So if you're taught racism, you can unlearn it and learn what it means to treat everybody equally. So if you don't understand how to unlearn things, I don't truly feel like you can ever really get to the best part of learning. And a lot of us grow up in society where we are taught all these different things from people. And we don't realize until we're older that, damn, that probably wasn't OK. That, that That's not the best way to go about that. And the hard thing is unlearning because you don't want to sometimes you don't want to change. You don't want to be that person or that person that like, you know, I don't want to do that because I mean, my grandma said we should do it that way. So I don't want to be that person to be like, grandma, we should do it, you know, and I get it. But a lot of times we do have to unlearn and. I think what helps me with this is that if I'm unlearning something and then learning something that not only helps me, but will help me be a better person in society where I will leave this earth better than how I came, then it's worth unlearning and learning it. And then I trinkle that down to other things. I'm always that person where I know how to do things. I've gone to school. I have skills like in the most humblest of ways. I'm good at a couple things. But if you came to me and you were a chef and you said, hey, Drake, you know, maybe you should try it this way. I am never too good to try it the way you're saying. Now, let me 
tell you straight up though, my facial expressions are very, very on point. So if you show me something and I'm questioning it, don't look at my face because my face is going to look like, what the? But does not mean I'm not listening. Does not mean I'm not taking in what you're telling me. But at the same time, unlearning and learning does not mean you throw everything out just to get the new information. It is assessing the situation and then you taking and having the ability to say, damn, that's right. I should unlearn this and learn it this way. And if you have that capacity, I feel like you go further in life because the day you think you can't learn anything else is the day that you kind of just become an asshole and you're that person that nobody wants to be around, to be honest. So, you know, you don't want to be that person. So I just always say that unlearning is a good way to do this. And it helps me with my mental health because I'm always learning different things about myself. That's the key that I feel like is the determining factor is the self-love, the self-learning experience, everything within yourself. Because in that way, you can be the best you, which brings us back to our first point. Of mental health one on one, being the best you for other people around you. So I hope you guys enjoyed today. And I hope I didn't go too deep. Remember, this is just my experiences. I really hope it helps in some kind of way. I also hope that you try this creme brulee recipe and that you flavor it. So if you don't want to use vanilla in this and you want to use some strawberries, then when you add some strawberry puree and with the Heavy cream, you turn it into strawberry creme brulee. You want to do some chocolate. You want to do other things. Experiment with it. Do what you want. But you already have the base here. Please remember that I will be back with new episodes every Wednesday. And next week, we have a special guest co-host, Shakana Scooby Branch, who happens to be my sister. And it happens to be her birthday on August 22nd. So she is a lucky Leo, and I just want to say happy birthday to you. I love you, and you definitely keep me in line with my mental health, and I really appreciate you. And I know that you're going to be embarrassed by this, so I love you even more for that. But you will get to meet her next week where we go over adulting. So next week episode is Cooking Your Way Through Adulting. If you want to join me and Chef Lean before next week, you can always catch us with some virtual cooking classes. So go to ChefLean.com right now to sign up for cooking classes with either me or Chef Lean. We're going over plenty of recipes and we have them weekly. You also can sign up for private cooking classes and just hit one of us up and we'll tell you the details on that. Outside of that, I hope you guys have an amazing week and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cooking Your Way Through Life with Chef Hollywood.